you start getting too focused on the money and the numbers that they're generating, right? Instead of the actual customer experience. So yes, we can go and close a bunch of customers, but what's going to keep those customers coming back or buying more premium products, higher margin products? Great experiences build great leaders. Great leaders build great teams. This is Building Great Sales Teams. All right, guys, thank you for joining us on the Building Great Sales Teams podcast. I've got a special episode this week. I did a interview on the Nailed It podcast with Joseph Hughes. Uh, this must have been a couple of weeks ago. It just came out last week on his podcast. So if you haven't downloaded the Nailed It podcast, go check it out. It's great for uh, construction business owners. But we really got deep on this podcast and talked about, you know, setting the example for your team as well as recruiting and some other things with metrics and social media and everything in between. I just feel like it'll bring a lot of value to our listeners on our podcast. So listen in, tune in, and check it out. Thanks. All right. What's going on, everyone? Back with another episode of the Nailed It Show, the Nailed It Podcast. Got a really special guest today who's got a couple different businesses, a lot of good experience, and I'm excited for him to share some insights. Before we get into that, I would love if you could share this episode with a friend, whether you're watching it on YouTube, listening to it on our podcast, seeing any of the social clips, share it with a friend that helps us reach more people, have more of an impact, and quite frankly, helps us to get some more awesome guests on the show so that we can provide more value. Genuinely appreciate all of the love that you can give our show. Uh, any feedback that you have, please reach out. Check us out on our website at Contractor Dynamics and uh, give us any feedback you can. We want to make this as valuable as possible for our audience. So without further ado, I want to introduce to you Doug Mitchell. What's going on, Doug? Hey, what's up, brother? Honored to be on the show. Yeah, we've been connected for a while and uh, it's good to have you on. Get, to get a little bit of uh, your uh, behind the scenes kind of insight, running multiple businesses. Um, so I'm happy to, uh, excited to dive into that. For those of you uh, in the audience that don't know Doug, you want to give us a little background as to who you are and the businesses that you operate? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm the CEO of Arts and Field Solutions, which is a sales organization. And uh, we sell products like AT&T, Security, and Solar is our latest venture. And we're kind of going all in on that. The company name there is Argenta Solar, subsidiary of Field Solutions, so uh, mainly background is door-to-door -door sales, right? I've been doing it for 12 years now, uh, done some B2B, telemarketing, pretty much any way of selling I've done it. And so uh, shortly after getting into Apex, I got a lot of requests to help people with their sales teams. So I got into consulting at that point and then launched the Building Great Sales Teams podcast. So that's kind of where I'm at with everything, uh, running the sales organization, doing some consulting and the podcast as well. All right. So for anyone that needs help with sales teams, anything sales team related, Doug is your man. So that is awesome. What exactly is Argenta Field Solutions? Like you, act, like you build sales teams for other organizations or I'm not really sure how that works. 
No, uh, Argentafield Solutions started as uh, the not really a brainchild. It, it was a, a popular model for door-to-door uh, sales companies to go through. And uh, basically, you get a contract with a, a client like AT&T, uh, DirecTV is another one, uh, ADT, Vivint, all these big uh, Fortune 10, Fortune 100 companies, they need sales forces, right? And so you sign a contract with them and they pay you commission per product or uh, per sales rep, however it works. But most of the time they're trying to outsource their sales, right? And so they, they hire companies like ours and we go out and we sell their product mainly door to door. Uh, because it is a commission based type position, it's hard for them to carry that, uh, 1099 liability. So they sub it out to us. We carry it on. We hire the salesperson. We train them. Uh, we build the team. We go into multiple markets and sell door to door basically. And so that, that was the original model of the business. And now, now we're transitioning to, uh, be a complete solar company from A to Z fully integrated to where we're bringing in the the customer and we're doing the customer service experience, we're installing the customer and then uh, servicing the the warranty afterwards. Oh, fantastic. Okay, cool. Were you contracted by a solar company originally? Is that how you got kind of got your foot into solar and saw the opportunity there or? So what happens in our business is a new product comes in, you know, and anybody that has uh, door-to-door sales experience can sell any product pretty much door-to-door. And so solar started coming up on our radar a lot. We had a few guys recruited away to it. And um, it's something that we always wanted to do. I just, I had a, I was a little bit jaded because my father-in-law had purchased a solar system through a door-to-door rep and uh, didn't talk to me about it before he did it. And uh, he got hosed, you know? So to that point and for months after that, I always thought solar was kind of like, Hey, this gimmicky type of product and business that they were able to mark up like crazy and kind of screw over customers and make these huge commissions. Right. And so I kind of stayed away from it for a long time. And then the industry normalized a little bit and you got some, some more reputable players in there, some people with more ethics. And so I started seeing the industry take off as it has. I mean, it's, it's doubled and tripled every year since uh, I've gotten into it, which was about two years ago. And, uh, so we went full force into it. The margins are better. You know, we sold cable before, so you're looking at anywhere from $200 to $300 in commission per sale and cable. Now we're, we're at, you know, 4,000 to 5,000 in commission for solar. You know what I mean? So it's a huge jump in commissions, uh, and you get to hire less salespeople, uh, better income per sales reps. So the culture, the culture you create is a lot better because of that. Wow, that's an insane difference. Uh, I can yeah. see the appeal there. It's like, well, if you're going to train someone to go out and sell, you can make 300 yeah. bucks for five grand. Like, you know, why not mm-hmm. learn how to sell the higher end thing? That's that's amazing. It's also, you know, a different kind of sales rep, right? So cable would be entry level and then solar would be like a more experienced, advanced sales rep that could handle the, you know, the 90 days it takes to actually install the solar and then handling the customer along the way, it, it becomes account management at that point. So you got to be able to do both. Got it. Okay. That makes sense. Less transactional, maybe more relational. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Cause I, we have a lot of clients in the roofing industry that do door to door sales. I don't come from that background. I was not aware that like those big companies outsource their 
canvassing and door to door sales to, uh, to teams, to companies like you. So, mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's cool. Uh, a lot to learn on these things. So Argenta, what does that mean? I was, I was Googling it yesterday as I was prepping, I didn't really find anything. So I, I wanted to yeah. ask where that come from. Well, that's one of the things I love about the name for SEO purposes. <laughs> Nobody has oh, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I did just trademark uh, Argenta Solar. So um, that was a big win for us. Uh, we actually uh, started out as Helios Power. And um, this is, you know, besides the original Argenta name with Field Solutions and doing door-to-door -door sales, we, we started as Helios Power originally, but um, Jessica Dennehy, she's in our circle, over at Apex, uh, actually found that it was already trademarked. So we had to pivot and change the name. And I was like, well, I know one name that, you know, will never be <laughs> trademarked and that's Argenta. So it comes from the battle of Argenta Gap, which was a key battle in World War II. And so the previous owner's uh, dad actually named the company and it's the name of his ranch as well. He's a big historian loves uh, World War II history. So he named the, the company Argenta. And then I bought it back in uh, 2011, November 2011 for 200 grand. And uh, I didn't see any reason to change the company name at that point. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. That's awesome. Yeah, you're right. Like that's a unique term for, uh, for SEO, uh, for showing up when people even just search for Argenta, Solar or something like that. There's not going to be a lot of yeah. competition there. So that makes sense. All right, cool. So you've been uh, probably trained hundreds, probably thousands of different people, different sales reps and whatnot in your your career. Um, what what defines uh, in your podcast is building great sales teams. So what defines a great sales team? So it's it's hard to say in in a few words, right? I'm sure um, you have to so have a whole podcast dedicated to it. Yeah, whenever I whenever I audit a sales team, I use a system called uh, Kodak, right? And this is kind of how I define a great sales team. So if if you're if you're proficient in all of these points or these tenets, then you're going to be in good shape in terms of your sales program. So, uh, in short, I would say a good sales program defines a great sales team. And um, Kodak is compensation opportunity, development, operations, and culture. And if you're evenly weighted across those things, then that's what's going to define a great sales team, right? And so the, I audit those things. I look at the comp plan. Is it simple? Is it sales rep facing? Can they make six figures from it? And is it comparable in the marketplace? You know, because you're looking at it from the sales rep point of view when you're building the sales team versus, you know, the business owner point of view and you're looking at the bottom line, right? And then opportunity, you know, do I have an opportunity to do more than just go and sell? You know, can I get into management someday? Can I lead people someday? Or can I uh, cross sell into a higher margin product or a premium product? You know, where, what's my opportunity? The next step is development. So are you developing your people in terms of their skills and in terms of leadership and then going maybe even a step further in developing them as humans and teaching them how to do things like, you know, entry-level salespeople don't understand taxes. So what if you're teaching them taxes along their journey when they make their first six figures? And especially if they're 1099, they need to understand, okay, I need to open up an LLC. I need to uh, claim expenses and stuff like that. So I don't get, you know, pay out 30 plus percent to the tax man, right? And so after that, it's uh, operations, which, you know, I'm, I'm sure your company coaches a lot on 
which is, you know, can I fulfill the product properly? Do I have the customer service experience in mind as well as onboarding? You know, the, my first impression, if I'm a salesperson to a sales program is the onboarding process. You know, am I having to fill out the same paperwork three times? Like I'm at a, you know, emergency room clinic or something like that. And I'm having to fill out my name three or four times. And so your onboarding process has to be on point as well as uh, their introduction to the company and your orientation, your recruiting's got to be on point. So you keep a steady flow of new salespeople coming in. So your existing ones have opportunities to lead and train and, and so forth. And then the last piece of it is culture, which is my favorite part. I've always said a great culture can carry a sales program. You could, you could be deficient in all five other tenants. If your culture is strong, then that's going to carry the sales program. And that's why you see so many startups do so well, even though they're deficient in those other five areas, or sorry, other four areas, because everybody there knows that they're there for a purpose and that they have a mission and it's a mutual mission and it benefits everybody involved, right? So that's how a lot of great cultures start. And then you start filling in the other four tenants and it's just like rocket fuel from there. That's awesome. I'm taking notes. I love that. That's, that's really cool. So we work on our own sales team as well. Uh, yeah, like we're, most of our clients are, are roofing companies and there's like, I'm sure you've seen in all industries, there's, you know, owners and sales leaders crying that there's, you know, it's so hard to find good people. I can't keep people <laughs> it's a revolving door. Um, and one of our core values here at, is, is uh, extreme ownership. So it's like, well, mm -hmm. if my people are leaving or they're not happy or they're complaining, or whatever, like I got to look in the mirror and see like, why is that? Like, how can I create a culture where they want to stay, where there is that sense of purpose? So where, do, and I'm sure you've seen the same thing. So like, are there a couple of points or a couple of like common denominators where you see like sales leaders just like, or owners of companies get in their own way, or they just like not able to figure it out, like where they get stuck with that revolving door of sales reps. Um, I'm sure it goes into like what you just talked about with those five things, but um, some of those common elements that, that are points of failure. Yeah, at a entry level, when a owner decides, okay, I want a sales team, I'm gonna hire my first salesperson. Right away, their expectation is they're gonna end up being, I'm gonna train them to be like me, which is, insane right there's a reason you're in the position you're in you're able to juggle you know the financials the sales the operations you know you're able to move the company forward you're the visionary you're the integrator you're all these things there's no way that that salesperson can live up to that so establishing proper uh responsibilities and expectations with your salespeople is huge right and so the less admin work and the less customer service work you can have a salesperson doing the better shape you're going to be in, right? You're used to handling it all. You handle the admin, you handle the customer service, you're the top salesperson of the company, one of one, right? Um, but when once you hire that salesperson, try your best to, to have your first salesperson be focused on nothing but sales. Product knowledge, uh, sales training, and selling customers. That's their number one job. Too many times you throw the admin work on them and you throw you know the operation stuff on them and bog them down and they can't, they don't have the capacity to be able to go out and generate business at the same time. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And we, you know, we as business owners don't have that much capacity either. So what we're going to see is allowing them to stay super focused on sales is they're going to blossom and they're going to hopefully sell more than we ever could. You know what I mean? And so that, that's one of the things that I see happen a lot. 
And then what will happen too is like, say you have a five man sales team, right? You, you start getting too focused on the money and the numbers that they're generating, right? Instead of the actual customer experience. So yes, we can go and close a bunch of customers, but what's going to keep those customers coming back or buying more premium products, higher margin products? How are we going to have a better ROI per customer versus just getting the one-time customer impulse sale, one-time commission, and then it's over? Right. So focusing on the, the customer experience on top of the sales rep experience is going to going to get rid of that pain point for you. And then that, that does it helps the salespeople get referrals. It helps keep your good name. So whenever the salespeople says, hey, I'm you know, I'm, I'm Doug with X, Y, Z contracting. That name isn't going to scare the customer away and make the salesperson's job harder because you've created a great uh, customer experience. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, we're, we're a marketing training company. So we train our clients on like social media marketing and content, all those things. But at the end of the day, like your product is your best marketing, like the customer experience that you provide, the service you provide, the products you install, like doing a great job and providing that, that experience is that's your calling card, right? You're going to get those referrals. You're going to get repeat business. You're going to get reviews. You're going to get, you know, more enjoyable, uh, you know, clients to work with that aren't, huge pains and pains in the ass um yeah. so that's that's huge yeah we see that like way too often like you see on facebook and the groups and everything like a roofing company owner is like hey uh hiring sales reps like need right away i need asap make 100 grand and like that is their whole pitch that's their whole value prop and right. you know you might get people like that but they're if they're just in it for the money they're not making 100 grand you know the first week or the first few months obviously um, there's nothing else keeping them there and they're going to lose them quickly. So it's like, it's, you know, people put, and I'm not perfect, but like you see owners like putting like the minimal effort into like recruiting and then complaining that it's hard to find good people. It's like, are you really like, <laughs> are you, yeah. are you creating like an organization that, that people want to join? Like you've got to show people that you have an opportunity for them to, to thrive. Like you said, not only you know, monetarily and business wise, but like on a personal level as well, um, that type of leadership is necessary. Well, you've got to invest somewhere, right? So when we were doing cable sales, we had 110 plus salespeople in our organization. We would hire anybody that walked and chewed gum. And that's because we were okay with it because we knew we had a filtering process. One, we did door to door. So we took them out to the doors the first day. We find out if they could hack it or not, right? if they were going to be able to handle the heat, if they were going to be able to handle the rejection, you know, there there's training the first day too, but we're not investing a full week in a training and then sending them out to the doors. We have a filtering process. We want to send them out to the doors as soon as possible. This is the reality of the position. This is the hard work. Right. And so, uh, along that filtering process obviously was the core values as well. You know, we outlined what we expected of our people, whether it's on social media or, in the office, you know, what we were going to accept and not accept, you know? And so that went into the filtering, filtering process. And then we invested so much in our training. We invested so much in their first two weeks with the company, making sure that one, they made money fast and two, they got a ton of sales and product training so that they could execute out in the field. And so we would have a, I guess what you would call a high turnover rate, but it was intentional. You know, we didn't want to discount anybody because we believed that we could teach anybody to sell if they had the work ethic. So work ethic is not something that you can hire for. It's not on a resume. 
it's not going to happen in a conversation like me and you are having right now. I mean, we could BS each other all day long. Work ethic won't happen until you start doing the job, right? And so once we find out if they have work ethic, then they're in. And then it's up to us to get them to the skill level that they need to be to execute. And we would always say, hey, your work ethic will get you to a thousand bucks a week. What's going to get you to 2000 a week is the way that you train, the way that you study, the way that you show up to the meetings and your experience. All right. I like that. Okay. So if you wanted to hire, if you wanted to get like 10 really good sales reps that are going to stick with you, how many would you originally like get in the door? Like hundred or 50 or hundred? hundred. So 10 X? Yeah. A hundred. And that's if you have a really dialed in onboarding training and recruiting system, right? And uh, you have a good sales program in place too. You can go down, 10% is a really good rate, right? I was hiring 60 to 70 a month at that time. And my headcount was 110. And I was typically adding about 10 people a month, but we had a really good pro, a sales program in place that all the pain points I had identified over the years, right? So I, I put in things to solve those pain points, like, for instance, on the recruiting side, a, an internal referral from a salesperson, a new, a new hire referral from a salesperson will be five times more successful than a new hire from recruiting, right? So what we did is we said, okay, how much does that new hire from recruiting cost? Okay, it cost us $250 in ad cost and commission from the call center agent that's recruiting them, $250 per hire. Right. So I'm going to pay a thousand dollars per referral from my internal team. And then I can pay five, I can pay 250 up front. So I'm not out any money. And then I'll pay like a hundred dollars a sale after that. So I break even all the way to seven sales. And then at that point, I have a way stickier salesperson that's going to stay on longer because when they came into the position, they knew what it was about because their friend was doing it already. Maybe their friend was already making big bucks. So they know if they just stay long enough and they work hard enough, they'll get to that point too. And there's so much more motivation and proof of concept there for an individual versus before um, they're coming in blind pretty much, you know, with, with the recruiting effort. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Some of our uh, bigger clients that recruit a ton of sales reps, like they, they do that internally through uh, referrals and, uh, one of them, uh, if you, one company, if you, if a rep re- successfully refers uh, another rep that stays, I think for six months, the rep uh, that, that referred them earns the, the company trip to like Costa Rica. I think they went this year or something like that. So like pretty cool. Oh, nice. incentive. But that, you know, your buddy has to stay on for six months and then, you know, you, you earn that. So that makes sense for sure. It, it, it happened all the time. We realized we had recruiters in our reps. Yeah. And we switched them over to recruiting. We were like, hey, you just need to you just need to work full time for us as a recruiter. We'll pay you a base plus commission for every person that walks in the door. And all of a sudden, 10 of their friends show up in one month and we doubled the headcount in the office because eight of them stick because they're so much stickier when they come from from internal. Yeah, for sure. Wow. So that 10 percent number that that's uh, lower than I would have thought. Uh, but but that goes to show you've got to put in the effort and that's with a good sales program and training and culture and everything like that. Like if you don't have those things, like I don't even know what the number would be. Yeah. And, and to be fair, that's door to door, right? Yeah. You know, that, that is the, you know, one of the hardest sales positions there is one of the most beneficial to do first in your sales career 
You know what I mean? Because you're creating sales from nothing, right? You're creating them from air. There's no marketing. There's no warm up or anything like that to the consumer. They weren't even thinking about you before they knocked on their door, right? And so that's why that 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 ten percent number seems a little low. But then when you're hiring and you're actually getting maybe some marketing leads in, you're maybe uh, you have a company that has a brand name or something like that, then the retention gets higher and higher and higher. Got it. Okay. Cool. Um, speaking of retention, what you know, once you get people in the door, you get them trained and whatnot. What things do you um, operate by, and you know what kind of tenants in order to uh, increase that retention? Right, you want to keep keep those people that are awesome. Like, what are some recommendations you have there? So, going back to recruiting, now that I'm in a big retention mode and I'm hiring maybe a more advanced salesperson, more experienced salesperson. Uh, I'm using tools like uh, Wise Hire has a lot of tools that I execute on, uh, including the disc profiles. So what we did is we said, okay, they have this disc profile tool. Let's have the whole sales organization um, take this disc profile, and then we'll have our you know best leaders take it. We'll have our best salespeople take it. Put them into two classes. Obviously, this can be the same person, and put them into two different classes and said, okay, if we want leaders. This is the disc profile we hire for. If we want the best salespeople, this is the disc profile we hire for. And then we pivot back and forth in our hiring process, depending on what we need. So that, that kind of gives you better retention on the back end because you're, you're paying attention on the front end, what kind of personality profile you need to hire. Right. And we, okay. and we do little things too. Now, you know, we only have a headcount of 25 now, but um, 18 of them make over six figures a year. Right. Versus, you know, when I had a headcount of 110, our average income for those people, and this is 10 years ago, was 36 grand a year. So okay. I, over the years, I've jumped on products that can have higher margin and I can pay my salespeople more and have a better way of life for my salespeople, right? And so one of the other ways that uh, we knock out kind of the people that we don't think will be good for us is we put in some hoops, right? So there's a, the disc profile itself is a hoop because that's a good 15 minute questionnaire, right? Uh, another hoop is a, a five question uh, questionnaire that comes before the disc profile, before they even know they're going to take that. They have to answer these five questions and it's simple stuff. Like, are you okay with uh, doing outside sales? This isn't remote. You know, that's the first thing that we say this. It says it in the ad, but we have to say it again in the questionnaire. You understand this isn't remote. Yes. That's the first question. And then after that, and so if they don't fill out the questionnaire, and that tells us right away they're not willing to put in the minimal effort in order to work for us. They're probably not a good fit, period, and for anybody, right? Yeah. And so uh, it's it's the five-question questionnaire, and then it's the disc profile, and uh, and then it's a virtual interview, right? And if they're late for the interview, that'll tell us some things. If they don't make the interview or something like that, then that kind of weeds them out. You know, those three hoops that they have to jump through will weed them out until they get to the in-person interview, you know? But if you're hiring like I used to, it's all about the sales program again, right? And so it's focusing on the actions and not necessarily the results. So we get too hyper-focused on the results. And that's all our salespeople hear is like, you're a number, your, your, your value is based on your production, which to a certain degree it is, you're a salesperson, right? To me, uh, a thriving culture depends on the sales rep experience. So again, going back to when you onboard them and you hire them, that that is a fluid process, right? That you're immediately investing in them in terms of uh, product knowledge, sales training, and uh, as people. And then 
you want the sales rep experience to be so much that, especially initially when they, when they succeed, that they're immediately rewarded. And it's not necessarily like monetary things or incentives or anything like that. It's like they're recognized. You know, some people just need that recognition, right? And so, again, going through that sales rep experience, okay, if they've been with the company for maybe like three to six months and they're like your top producer and they haven't been given an opportunity structure, that's an issue too. You know, they, they don't understand, okay, I can go out, I can sell a bunch, I can make a bunch of money and that's why I got into this business, but where's the opportunity? So people get into sales for, the, the first reason people get into sales is the money and the second is the opportunity. The opportunity is the most important. So that has to be communicated to me day one. But if it's not by three to six months, they're going to start looking around because now they're a top producer. Now they've reached the peak, what they feel like is a ceiling in the company, right? So now they're going to start looking around for higher commission products or maybe products that are easier to sell or companies that sell the same thing, but they have leads, right? And they don't have to go out and knock on doors or something like that. They're going to start looking around if they don't have an opportunity structure in place. I feel like we are most fulfilled when we're teaching something and we're giving, right? Just humans in general. So if I have somebody that's successful, successful after three months, then I immediately want to start having them teach the new people coming in. You know, and it, it depends on the business, right? Some products are more complicated, but with cable sales, it's not a big deal. With solar sales, you're going to need to be with our company for at least six months before you start teaching, right? But now we put you in a leadership role and now you're training new people coming in and we're seeing how you lead. And then the next opportunity is management, right? Managing the whole sales team. So we have uh, metrics in place that you have to hit in order to get to that level, you know? So to me, you're going to increase your retention by creating opportunity structure within the company is one of the, the biggest thing. And then obviously, like I said earlier, the, the other big thing is the culture, right? If you don't have a culture of progress and development within your company and outside of the product or the business, right? You have a culture to where at an entry level, you're teaching them tax strategy and then you're teaching them how to invest. Maybe the 21, you know, one of our pieces of training is the 21 rules of money by Ryan Stuman, right? And so cool. they, they have access to that training and obviously it's public, right? But it's also within our system. You know, we have a link program that they get text they get texted that link after three weeks with the company so they're like okay they're giving me it's free information but they're they're making sure i understand the 21 rules of money right and then i you know we did another training where um easier accounting did a uh llc tax training for us right so they came in uh they trained our team we recorded it and now we repurpose that for our own what we call freedom training Right. So the first level is taxes. The second level is investing LLC, uh, understanding how to operate a business. And then, you know, we brought in a meditation coach that did a training with us one time. You know, we brought in Druby uh, to do the follow up uh, sales process. We, we brought in Mike Claudio, you know, that did a training with him. So all those trainings are recorded and part of our freedom training where we're giving them training that's completely outside the company, but we're develop, developing them as humans. You know, we did uh, Earl Kapoor. So he's big in the solar industry and, and he has uh, his, his product is the gratitude mindset. So he teaches gratitude and um, meditation and how that can uh, affect your position and your business, you know? 
And so it's constantly investing in our people along the way and along that opportunity structure that's going to retain them long term. They they're developing as as people and as professionals versus staying stagnant. You know what I mean? And doing the same thing every day. Man, that's inspiring stuff. Like I'm writing down these notes because, uh, uh, you know, training people on different things, giving them different tools. Uh, that's awesome. I got to step it up. We do some training on like discipline and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, daily habits, uh, you know, G code kind of things, time yeah. management, you know, all that sort of thing. Well, our team is completely remote all over the country. So we don't have that office. We try to foster that culture and, um, you know, instill those habits, um, daily disciplines with our people. And like, you're talking about the opportunity thing. Like we had that happen recently. We have a new team member named Sydney. She's been with us. I think today, I think this week's her fifth week. But it's like week two, we're on a group call and just kind of, you know, getting the lay of the land and everything like that. And she was like, so what, you know, what what opportunities are there for me to like, you know, grow and, and elevate? And I was joking around with her. I'm like, man, you've been here two weeks. You're already looking for a promotion. Like, but she's very, she's young, she's ambitious, she's smart. And I'm like, all right, well, you know, if I don't show her the path and she just thinks that she's going to kind of be stuck doing what she's doing for, you know, even a year like she'll probably get yeah, bored yeah. and want to leave. So like, I need to put that in my, um, in my plans and communicate with mm-hmm. that with her, that there is kind of a progression plan, um, knowing her personality, which is, which is great. Like I just have to figure that out. So I, I yeah, know yeah. that if I fail to provide that for her, then it's going to be my fault if she leaves. So yeah, like you um, said, extreme, extreme ownership. Yeah. And, what, what a lot of uh, business owners or, or sales leaders don't do is they don't take the time to run the numbers. Like, okay, how can you create a training structure when you haven't hired your or, uh, opportunity structure when you haven't hired your first person? Well, you do the math. If, if this person produces X, Y, and Z, then, then there's enough profit there for me to hire someone else. And then if they produce X, Y, and Z with a team, then there's enough, you know, gross profit in there for me to put them at a regional level and open up another office, you know, so you got to run those numbers so that you can lay out an opportunity structure for positions that don't even exist in the company. yet. It was so cool to, to do that in the beginning and like have this market manager position that wasn't filled yet, a regional and then a VP position, and then watch over the next 18 months as those positions got filled. We do it for everything else, right? We do it for our targets and our goals and we write them down and, you know, we put them in place and we reverse engineer, right? Why don't we do the same thing for our opportunity structures within our sales program so we, they can see it in writing and then we can hold ourselves accountable to it, right? And some of the things that I'll do just to, you know, to be careful with it, because some people do hit all these metrics quickly and too fast. And I will put that, that time with the company caveat in there. You know what I mean? Because they may have just hit a few good clients and then, took off and they hit all the metrics easy, you know what I mean? But they've only been with the company for five weeks, you know, like we're not, we're not ready to promote someone to leadership after five weeks. So, you know, maybe it's three months, six months, depending on the position. All right. Got it. Yeah. Well, I guess part of that is you, you have to prove that you can do it consistently over a period of time, not just like in a a sprint, which not anyone can do, but um, not everyone can, can have that endurance to do it month in and month out. What we would do is we would say, okay, individual production, that's easy. Anybody can do that and kill it. But can you duplicate yourself? If you can duplicate yourself, then you're proving leadership, you're proving training ability, 
And it, it, it's very MLM-ish, but it works, right? And so we would always say, if you can uh, produce 30 sales in a month and duplicate yourself by two, then you can get yourself promoted to trainer, right? And as a trainer, again, if you can duplicate two more trainers, then you get yourself promoted to assistant manager. And then you get overrides on the whole organization under you at that point, you know? Mm-hmm. And people would always say, well, this is an MLM. Well, MLMs make money off of recruiting people and, and then buying that entry-level package or whatever it is. They have to spend money to get into the MLM. We make money off of selling a product. This is just right. how our management structure is comprised, you know? When you were talking about mapping out your the opportunity structure, I was thinking about MLM because that's kind of, yeah. you know, that's the, the dream. Like you start here, you're going to have, you know, 20 people under mm-hmm. you, that sort of thing. Um, yeah. So that's funny you mentioned that. I was thinking the same thing as we are talking about it. I mean, if I start a business, I want to have 20 people under me, right? That means the business is running itself. Maybe I've got some organic growth. So it, that's the trouble is they reverse engineered the, you know, the typical fortune 100 company. And that's how they created the MLM based on that. So it, it, it was the chicken before the egg kind of thing, you know? Got it. Okay. And then, yeah. And now everybody's like, Oh, everything's a Ponzi scheme. It's like, that's not a Ponzi scheme. Like You're selling an actual <laughs> product. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. You're providing value. Okay. So you've got, uh, you've got, Field solutions that you've got Argenta Solar. How do yeah. you just from like a you know personal perspective, like how do you allocate your time? Like what are your roles in those different in the different companies? Um, are they kind of intertwined or what does that look like? Mm-hmm. So, you know, full transparency, when I joined Apex, it was very much, you know, I had 50 plus people in the organization, several divisions, all that type of stuff. You know, I was blessed in that I had leadership in each division. So they were incredibly accountable to their division. It didn't take a lot of management or micromanagement from me because the way we built out our opportunity structure. And we we kind of figured out what the breakpoints were. You know, like, you know, at the assistant manager level, they can really only handle four people. If an assistant manager has more than four people, then they're having to lead on their manager to help manage those four people, right? So we figured out as we went up, in position what the breakpoints were. And um, once you execute on that, then it kind of takes, the management piece kind of takes care of it themselves to where I was able to be the true visionary and just come up with new ideas, new divisions, new products. And, you know, for the past year and a half, I've been working hard on solar, right? And that, we're going to transition completely to that. We're, we've actually been winding down our AT&T division to where we only have one person left now and everybody else is on solar. So that's, yeah, we, we did that intentionally. You know what I mean? Because the only person left, he's a six figure producer on the AT&T side and he's just, that's what he wants to do. That's what he loves to do. You know what I mean? He's not door to door. He's uh, off of our referral based model and he's doing really well with that. And he doesn't want to do solar. And I'm like, okay, well just keep doing your thing then. You know what I mean? We'll have the opportunity for you to sell solar. So he's doing some of that too as well. But so we winded down that division and we're super focused on being integrated in solar. That's where we feel like the opportunity is. So I'm back into being the operator again. You know, I'm I'm in the business again versus before I was able to be the visionary and just come up with new ideas and push the business forward, expansion. Now I'm like, all right, I need an SOP for my sales flow. Whenever the, you know, we set an appointment 
I need an SOP for that. I need uh, a document that explains the steps. And then I need a video that walks you through everything. So I'm doing all that stuff again. It's kind of fun. I'm enjoying it, you know, because I, I, I'm going back to where I was 10 years ago when I was building the business for the first time. Yeah, but you're building a business for the first time, but you have like another decade of experience under your belt yeah. and life maturity. So, uh, so that's that's really cool, interesting. And you guys are your uh, your DFW is that your market? No, we're in uh, South Texas, so uh, San Antonio, Corpus Christi, and Houston are oh, our main okay. market. My bad. I guess yeah. I just assumed like everyone Apex. in Texas is. <laughs> we're all no. in DFW. Yeah. All right. <laughs> you know, like Houston. Houston is an hour from Houston is the joke. Like you could fit Germany and Texas is the joke also. So yeah, Texas is pretty big. Houston's an hour from Houston. That's great. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. So Argenta Solar, and I uh, I forgot about this until now, but uh, from a marketing perspective, this is really cool to see. And I don't know the details I just saw on Instagram, but like the energy drink thing. Tell us about that. Yeah. That, was, that was awesome. So... The energy drink came from seeing my guys spend four to five dollars on this drink every day. And then, you know, I was doing the same thing, you know, and but I'm in a different financial position than they are. Right. And so I'm like, I started doing the math. That's one hundred twenty dollars a month, you know, over, um, you know, about fifteen hundred dollars a year or so. And I was like, man, I would love to buy these for them. But, you know, per office that I would that expense would be like 10 grand a year. It would be insane. Right. <laughs> and so, um, and then I was looking at the, the, the back of the cans. Cause I, I just drank one. I have one right here. I was looking at the back of the can and I was like, I don't even understand these ingredients, you know? And I started looking at the side effects of them, the side effects of caffeine in general. And some of them had like 280 grams of caffeine. And I'm just like, all right, this is not good for us. You know, we're crashing after lunch, eat a big meal. You're supposed to go to the field and you're crashing. You're tired. You're groggy. So I, I heard about uh, Dennis Morales and, and Drink Labs. He's a, another uh, Apex executive, and uh, he can create custom energy drinks. And I'm like, okay, that's what I need. I got a quote from him. He went forward with it. And so now, uh, right before Million Dollar Mastermind, I was able to uh, purchase and um, we were able to develop 20,000 Argenta energy drinks. And so not only is it a cheaper, you know, the guys don't have to pay for them, right? They're included with the company. What company has their own energy drink, right? And uh, so that's the first thing. And then the second thing is uh, I develop relationships with them. Pretty much anybody in Apex can message me right now and say, hey, uh, can I get some margins to energy drinks? And I'll send them a case or two, right? And so that's one of the ways that I develop relationships. Podcast guests, same thing. I'll send them a case of energy drinks. And then um, on the back of the energy drink is a QR code. Uh, and that QR code gives you a custom solar quote. So we leave two cases of them with customers and then they put them in their fridge, right? They, they're delicious. They're pineapple flavored. They have real sugar in them. It's not all the artificial stuff. They're all natural. And they put them in their fridge and then they hand them out to their friends and family. And then they tell them, hey, this came from my solar company that just installed a couple of weeks ago. If you're interested in it, there's a QR code on the back. We coach them through this. We're like, hey, send us all your okay. referrals. And then if they list you as the referee, then we'll pay your referral fee, you know? And so that's gotten us a lot of our, our organic business as well. It is. It's, it's something within the Apex community that's gotten me a lot of notoriety. You know, we gave them away at Million Dollar Mastermind. 
And so uh, we almost got kicked out of the arena because you weren't supposed to give away energy drinks there because then they couldn't sell them. Of course, they yeah. didn't have any energy drinks. They were just worried about their Coke products, right? Got it. But we became so famous for that that people started reaching out to me. It's like, hey, can I get a case or whatever? And I sent them a case. And then they're reaching out to me again for consulting or to work for us or to get a solar quote. You know, so it was just this top of mind thing that that really spread like wildfire through the Apex community and worked out really well for us. So, you know, we spent 20 grand on 20,000 energy drinks, but now I got a whole storage container full of them and I'm good to go probably for the next 12 to 18 months, depending on how well we do on the solar side. Yeah. And I imagine that, uh, obviously great for the team, good, good, healthier alternative for your guys. That's great. Uh, I agree. Those ingredients, I got, I have them once in a while, usually if I'm traveling and there's like late or early flights going on and I'm like operating all day, um, I, I, I'll have one, but like, I don't feel good about it. I don't feel proud about it. You know, yeah. so I <laughs> it, um, it, sure it serves that, its purpose. Yeah. It, it's a, it's a very short term fix and then you can't sleep that night. You're like, oh, it's just, yeah. Um, but I'm sure that you've gotten an ROI on that already just from, you know, solar quotes and things like that. Right. Yeah. Actually, uh, we had a meeting last week. And the install that just went in gave us a $2,000 ROI. So we're, we're, we're 2000 in the green now on that $20,000 investment. And so, and, then, um, yeah. and I still have like 17,000 of them left. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, we're, we're in good shape. And uh, I forgot to mention this. We put our core values on the back of them as well. Oh, cool. We go over those with customers. So that's, that's part of our customer experience. And then um, the way that Dennis uh, put together this formula. It's so it, it helps you retain water, right? Cause my guys are out in the field in the heat. Um, it's got all natural ingredients and it's, it has a, a root in it. Oh, he's just sent me the root the other day. Uh, somebody was asking me if I had an alternative for Adderall huh. and this root, this root, this, uh, herb actually mimics Adderall. It's not as intense. It's not addictive. Or anything it's natural but it, mim it mimics helping you focus especially if you're add like me right and that's that's in the drink as well so my guys uh anti-inflammatory helps them retain water in the field and focus uh on what they're doing so it was it was formulated for door-to-door -door sales reps wow sounds like magic um now, <laughs> now that we're talking about it i would love to get my hands on a case of those things somehow yeah absolutely we'll shoot them over all right not thank a problem you. Awesome. Uh, all right. Well, I want to be respectful of your time. Let's uh, let's kind of start to wind down here. Uh, it seems like, well, not seems like you are a very driven individual, um, really intentional with your leadership and the people around you. Uh, what motivates you, Doug? Like what, what gets you got going every morning? What's that burn? So up until about three months ago, that was a very hard question for me to answer. And I had to get real intentional about my legacy in order to answer that question. And so now that I am, and now that I've kind of come up with some answers for that, it makes it a lot easier for me to operate every day under those, those intentions. Right. And so, you know, like, like with all things, you know, when you think of legacy, the material things come up first. Right. And so my, my material things, and these aren't negative, right. It's a, it's a hundred acre ranch. Right. And that's where I want me and my wife to retire. And then I want my family to always have that hundred acre ranch, put it in a trust, pass it down from family member to family member. Um, I have this vision of, you know, after we're 
after we've passed away, the funeral's already happened. You know, the whole family goes back to the ranch and on the ranch, there's this massive oak tree. Been there hundreds of years before I was born, right? And under that oak tree, they're having a discussion about the ranch and the family and how to continue the values, the purpose and the material things that we've put together for them and how to continue that legacy. You know, I think, I think legacy at a foundation starts with values. If all I do is pass on my values to, to my kids, I'm in good shape. And then after that, uh, the next level of legacy to me is purpose, right? The purpose is Argenta. The purpose is, you know, things like barbecue, things like rugby. I know you and I have that in common. <laughs> and uh, the yeah. things that I love doing that I'm passionate about, you know? And so the purpose comes from our passions, right? And then because of the that purpose and those passions and the values that we hold, we get the material things, right? And, and you know, we'd be lying if we didn't say we want to hand down a collection of guns or land or, you know, a huge bank account to our families. We just want them to be taken care of. But as long as we pass on the values first, that they're going to be good stewards of that legacy. Wow. That's, that's really intentional. That's awesome. Did you, because uh, I know we, we have a, I run a small mastermind group and we kind of, you know, coach some people on, on doing that sort of thing, creating a vision and all that. Did you go through some sort of exercise or like book to try to like figure all that out? So I had been, I just, I've been researching it for about seven or eight months now. And, uh, it's just been real important to me because I, I didn't operate with intention in my twenties and my life, my life fell apart because of it. And I wasn't a good person. And so you know, as I got my wife back, we were separated, divorced. We just got remarried a couple of months ago. As I got all these, I started, you know, getting all these things back. I wanted to make sure I was, again, a good steward of them. So I started researching legacy. And, and I started out with uh, Mitchell Family Crest and the 100 Acres. And then as I started asking the question on my podcast, people gave me more insight, you know, into the values and into the intention behind the values piece of it. Right. And then obviously, you know, being around Ryan Stuman and the coaches and everybody in apex, it became more and more about the values, those core values that we operate on, how important those are to pass on. And so, you know, and I, I am, that's my ability, right. To take something that can be confusing or maybe not easily communicated and make it simple and communicatable. <laughs> my new word communicatable right um, and so uh because i was talking about that a lot and i was asking that question um philip sessions uh with speaking sessions he has his podcast i was on his podcast and i started talking about it and he was like hey uh i have an event coming up in a couple months would you like to speak at my event and i said yeah absolutely I talk about building great sales teams i know everything there is to know about that you know what i mean and he was like no i want you to talk about legacy and i'm just like oh crap you know, and being the person I am, I have to put together a PowerPoint presentation. I need to know all the research on legacy and what it means to the scholars and, you know, these people that have studied it their whole lives. And so I did all that. I put together the presentation. And that's what I came up with, you know, the values, the passions and the, the materials. Wow, that's awesome. It's cool. Like what a little bit of intention can do is like a few months prior to Philip asking you that you were Googling legacy and here you are like yeah. on a stage talking about it and that's just being intentional uh -huh. um 
Wow, that's really cool. That's inspiring stuff. So you mentioned rugby. I saw on your website, um, I don't know how, how if it's up to date, but you still play? Yeah. Actually, awesome. uh, I'm, I'm playing on Saturday. So we're playing old boys, uh, old boys tournament on Saturday. So for those of y'all on the listening to the podcast that don't know, old boys is 35 and older. So it's not that old. I'm 36, but I'm excited because I get to play with the old guys now. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's awesome. Yeah. I played for many years. I haven't played since 2009. I got a mm-hmm. couple of concussions pretty bad and I decided to hang it up, but, um, I miss it, man. The camaraderie is that culture, like talk about culture. Like it's, it's awesome. Yeah. yeah and I, I did derive a lot of my culture pieces from rugby, which is, it's definitely that brotherhood, you know, there, one of the reasons I, or one of the things that I always wanted to do when I started my business was be the company I needed when I was 19, 20 years old, kind of lost, had that entrepreneurial mindset and didn't, couldn't find anywhere that, that could foster that. Right. So I wanted to make sure I created a company that, that fostered that. And so, you know, apex was kind of that for me too. Now I'm an entrepreneur. Now I'm successful or whatever. And I kind of alienate, alienate myself from other people because of that success. Right. But then I found apex and people that thought and acted and were driven like me, and then I got that brotherhood all over again, you know, and I got it with rugby, but there was always that separation because I was an entrepreneur and they were employees somewhere. We could never connect on that level. So once I found Apex, it was just like, oh man, this is like finding rugby all over again. Yeah. That common ground, those, you know, nothing, nothing wrong with like, you know, whatever you do for a living. It's just like mm-hmm. having those conversations to be able to connect. I, I totally get it. Oh, that's awesome, man. I love it. All right. Well, let's start to wrap it up. You got a few minutes for a quick lightning round, some fun fun questions. Yeah, absolutely. All right, cool. So uh, I'm I'm a big reader. I assume most of my guests are too. Uh, What's uh, the current book you're reading? So right now I'm reading uh, a massive book called The History of Texas. And you can imagine how thick that is. (laughs) And uh, I just started it uh, a couple weeks ago. I'm like, 200 pages in or so. And, uh, it's just eye opening, you know, because I'm, I'm a big, you know, I'm born in Texas. I'm a Texas boy. Uh, I love the Texas culture, you know, the, the Mexican influence, the Indian influence, the German influence, Cajun, the French influence, all that stuff. I experience it every day in the small towns around South Texas. And I just wanted to learn about the history that created all of it. You know what I mean? So that's what I'm reading right now. That's really cool. That's awesome. Um, all right. I assume you have some sort of uh, I'm obsessed with morning routines. I have, I've had mm-hmm. mine for years now. Uh, do you have yeah. one? And if so, what is it? Yeah, mine's probably pretty basic, you know, but um, it works for me right now. So I, I'm not doing 75 hard. I'm not on the live hard year any, anymore. So I need something in the mornings to get me going. So it's, it's wake up at 430. And then it's straight to the gym from there. I'm working on my home gym right now, which will condense my routine a little bit. Uh, But it's straight to the gym from there. And then I come back to the house. I love cooking. So I cook breakfast for myself and the rest of the family if they're having breakfast with me that day. Uh, And then I go straight into posting. You know, I post in my my personal, my my business groups. And then, of course, uh, Apex, Sales Talks with Sales Pros. I do all my posts and everything. And then I round up the boys, take them to school because they go to a different school than their sister. She takes the bus. So I take them to school. It's about a 40 minute drive. And then I got another 30 minutes to get to the office, which is mainly because of traffic. 
after that. So that's pretty much my morning routine right now. Uh, Unfortunately, okay. no meditation. You, you know, I can't find the time to meditate in the mornings, even though I'm getting up at 4.30. It, the post, honestly, all the writing that I'm doing right now is taking up so much of my time. So I've got to find another time for meditation. Yeah, it does take up a lot of time. And you have some driving in there too. That definitely takes up time. Um, but, mm -hmm. you know, that's why we connected. I, I love your content. I love the post you wrote today about how we connect by being vulnerable, you know, with some of the yeah. things that are, you know, maybe not the successes or the wins or anything like that. Something that yeah. I'm continuing to work on as well. Um, so I think a lot of us, myself included, you know, kind of put up this wall and, you know, yeah. but I know that the more vulnerable you get, the more you do make those deep connections. So absolutely. Um, yeah, that was a great post. All right. How about next travel destination? So I'm going to go see, uh, Jose Lopez and, uh, Sarah get married in Medellin. And then they're doing a small trip right after to Cartagena. So Colombia is my next travel destination. Oh, very cool. Very cool. That's, it's been on my list. My wife thinks like we're going to get like gunned down or something like that, but I <laughs> keep telling her like, it's, you know, it's, it's not narcos tough. anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, all right. So you've got a lot going on businesses, family and all that. What is Doug doing on a free Saturday? If that exists at all? Yeah. So most of my Saturdays are free. It's like you said, when we operate with intention, we can kind of create the lifestyle that we want. And so I'm, I'm very much the, the nine to five, you know, evenings free for the family, weekends free for the family. So um, I'm working on my property, mainly doing the, the yard work and stuff like that, because I genuinely enjoy it. We don't outsource that. We outsource cleaning the house, doing the dishes, laundry, 100%. We both don't like that. But the, the yard stuff I love doing, and it's kind of a labor of love now that we've taken that property from sand and sticker burrs to like grass, a fence, garage, all that stuff that we've put in now. So it's been a labor of love. And then um, I love to barbecue and I love to play rugby. So. That's really cool. That's awesome. Um, all right. How about one piece of advice for a new entrepreneur or a sales rep mm -hmm. or, you know, someone starting out in their career? So, you know, this is any, anytime someone starts a business and they say, Hey, I'm starting a business. You know, I, I always tell them this and I don't know that it's advice as much as it is insight and it's understanding that businesses don't fail. The owners give up. So as long as you don't give up, your business isn't going to fail. Like there's not many entities that can come in and stop, stop you from operating. Right. Besides if you don't pay your taxes and even then you can still operate you can just run on cash. You know what I'm saying? You'll find a way to make it work if you truly are passionate about it and want to do it. So, you know, it, it always bothers me, like you said, extreme accountability, right? It always bothers me when people say, oh, that business failed. Well, you're talking about that business like it wasn't you operating it, you know? You were operating it. So for whatever reason, you may have had an educated reason to give up on it, but you gave up on it, right? Right. And so when you take that extreme accountability, it makes things like, I don't know, my third year in business when uh, the state of Texas levied 25 grand on my business account and my business account was negative and I couldn't make payroll. You know, I thought I was going out of business, but it turns out that I borrowed some money, put it into my personal account, wrote checks out of my personal account. Everybody got paid. 
They didn't care what, from what account they just wanted to get paid. Right. Yeah. And I did that for uh, a couple of months until I got the bank account back to positive. And then I put all my money back in my business bank account, you know, and so many things happen like that and people just give up. But I had, you know, 20 plus people depending on me at that time. You know what I'm saying? So I, there was no giving up. So that's when I recognized like, man, I, I can, I can handle anything if I'm truly passionate about what I'm doing. So businesses don't fail. The owners just give up. You know, that's my advice I would give a new entrepreneur. Great advice. Love it. Uh, and that, that's some level of job security in some way, even though we are business owners. Cause like I, I know I'll never give up either. So I, uh, I'll keep that in mind when, when things get tough, which they do from time to time, uh, no doubt. So, well, thanks for sharing so much, Doug. Uh, uh, sorry, what? Yeah, and I was just going to say, and what do we know? We can always go back to day one where we were doing everything. Yeah, you know saying? Totally. Like, if everybody leaves us, we can still do it ourselves, you know? So that, that to me is the job security, and we know yeah. how to execute on that level. We don't want to. <laughs> We'd right, much rather right. execute on the level we are now. But, and then, I mean, there's a whole other conversation, but like, you know, you talked about content before you're, you're building a brand, your personal brand, like myself as well. Like that's an asset, right? If, if business, the business fails, like you can, you have that brand, that reputation, that Rolodex, like, you know, yeah. that's, that's an asset for anyone. 100%. Well, well, thanks so much for sharing, Doug. I, uh, I appreciate it, man. I'm, I'm so glad we connected, uh, getting to know you and, um, took some notes here about your legacy and values and all that good stuff. And, uh, I appreciate you coming on. Um, where's the best place for people to connect with you or follow you or, you know, check out more content podcasts, whatever you want. Yeah. Uh, txbizdad.com has all my social media links on there and everything. And on every, uh, social media, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, um, YouTube, it's, uh, at txbizdad.com. So all my handles are the same. I try to un make it uniform so it's easy. Yeah. Sounds like the three things that you love most. Uh, family, <laughs> business, Texas, all wrapped in one. Yep. All right. Well, thanks so much, brother. I appreciate it. And uh, looking forward to meeting up uh, down in Texas, one of, these, uh, one of these Apex events. Sounds good. We'll talk soon. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Building Great Sales Teams. We appreciate it. Make sure you like, share, and leave a review wherever you consume podcasts and subscribe so you're notified when we release new content. Great sales teams aren't recruited. They are built brick by brick. Let's get building.